Hi, everyone. Welcome to a hiatus episode of Slash Report. Today, I have um, five other people with me in the room, um, and we're going to talk about Kuroko no Basuke, um, also known in English as Kuroko's Basketball or the basketball which Kuroko plays. Uh, this is basically an anime manga series, which also has some associated light novels, and um, we're basically all friends who met in this fandom. Um, so we're going to go around and introduce ourselves. Um, there's quite a few of us, so um, we're going to go in alphabetical order and um, tell you who we are and how we came to join this fandom. Hi, I'm Anna. Um, my Tumblr is Takomine, and my AO3 account is Nodicoder. And I got I actually got into this fandom partially through tour but mostly through one of my friends that I met in my last year of college who kept bugging me to watch it and eventually we both started watching it together and then I finished the rest of it like two weeks before finals and the rest is pretty much history. Okay I'm Jis. I'm half sleeping on the AO3 and on Tumblr. I basically, um, okay, I have a very one-track mind. I basically got started on it when I saw gender swap pic float across my gen- my Tumblr dash. And then um, that was it. My name's Lynn. I'm reader of SF on Tumblr as well as on DreamWits and the AO3. And I've been in anime manga fandom for about 11 years. And I think the first time I read Kuroko no Basuke would have been three or four years ago and they only had about 50 chapters of the the manga translated at a time and I distinctly remember my impression of it being okay so it's a sports manga but it's actually sort of like a reverse harem with a male main character and this was actually my impression when I first read it and it was very entertaining but um, there wasn't a lot of it out at the time so I think the fandom really kind of got got going last year when the anime came out and quite a few of my friends on Drib, sorry? It started to build up just a bit before the anime. Mm -hmm. When the anime got announced. Yep. So early early 2012. 2012 was when I got the impression that the fandom was moving and quite a lot of my old friends were also getting started in writing fan fiction and reading fan fiction and reblogging a lot of art. So after being bullied a lot by half sleeping into, <laughs> into the fandom, I, I gave up and started writing for it, essentially. I'm Quem, Quem Chabadi. I also discovered Croc and Abasake a few years back. Uh, it was when I was delving deeply into exploring my love of sports manga. So I was hitting up manga sites that for the genre sports manga and then I would get hold of everything I could get hold of in that genre. Uh, there wasn't much about Kuroko no Basuke at the time, but I was following it for a little while and then I stopped following it um, for quite a while longer than that. And then when the anime was announced I noticed that people were starting to get into the Kurokono Basuke fandom so I put the manga back on my to read list and eventually caught up and dived in. 
<laughs> so I'm Tari. Um, I've actually been uh, fandom friends with Lynn and Kim in particular for quite a while now. I think it's going on seven years, maybe even eight. Um, and uh, I basically blame them for getting me into Kuroko no Basuke. Um, I'm also- I'm happy to take that blame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm a, a huge fan of sports manga as well. And um, I basically seen a lot of people start talking about Kuroko no Basuke uh, when the first season of the anime started coming out last year. And um, pretty much um, the combination of um, Lynn, um, basically uh, being very convincing about <laughs> joining mm -hmm. the fandom and also Kim being, you know, her usual self in selling me <laughs> new series to start. Um, I was pretty much doomed. So that's my story. I'm Tor. Um, I am one of the people who saw the anime announcement and was wondering what was going on. And so I decided to read the manga one week and about three days later had blazed through 150 chapters and was never surfacing again. And then I wanted to get everyone I knew into it, so I helped drag Anna into it, at least partially, I like to think. A little bit. <laughs> you are not that responsible. No, you did kind of do it to yourself. It was not myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think the moral of the story is we're all huge enablers of one another. <laughs> all right. Um, yes. So um, as the audience might be able to tell, um, we're kind of from all over the world. And um, I'd just like to say that it was quite an effort scheduling a time that we could all meet for this podcast. And um, some of us are getting up at really absurd hours of the morning to do this. So if we sound kind of incoherent, that is why. All right, so um, let's get started and actually start talking about Kuroko no Basuke. So um, is anyone willing to give a quick summary of what the story is all about? I think I'll give it a go. Uh, okay, it's basically sports manga in the most, um, except that it's about, and it's about basketball. And basically, they are kids, and they play basketball, and that's it. That's the whole story. Congratulations. <laughs> so why don't I give okay. a quick summary, and then we can start talking about what's um, sort of unique about Kuroko no Basuke. So, okay, um, in Kuroko no Basuke, the, the main character is Kuroko. He basically isn't quite your standard shonen protagonist in that he, he seems pretty unassuming at first, and um, his, his main characteristic is that he has a lack of presence, basically, is how it's described. So, He's um, very easily overlooked. Yes. Um, so at first, um, people just don't notice him. And um, when he shows up for the practice of um, basketball team, he has to like raise his voice to basically be noticed. Um, but what it turns out is that he actually used to be on the middle school team that was like a legend in the basketball 
scene in Japan. And um, his teammates were um, all called the Generation of Miracles because they were so strong and so talented that they basically crushed all the competition everywhere else. Um, and that middle school was called Teiko. And it turns out that Kuroko was the mysterious sixth man on this team. And his sort of special power is that because he has um, such a lack of presence, because he's so easily overlooked, um, he can sort of be there to make passes that seem to come out of nowhere. So he's basically a pass specialist. What's really funny is that he's actually incompetent at most other areas of basketball. So he's not good at shooting. He's not good at dribbling. He's really, really good at passing. And the series basically starts after Teiko, after this whole legend has been created. And Kuroko is joining the basketball team at this high school, which is sort of new to basketball. Um, it's called Seiden. And that's where he meets Kagami, who is more like your sort of typical brash um blunt and very um, enthusiastic like shonen manga protagonist and they decide basically um, along with the rest of the Satan team that they're going to take on the generation of miracles i.e. Kuroko's former teammates and so so it's true that Kuroko is a main character but in, in other ways Kagami is also a main character and then of course the generation of miracles are like the big rivals slash enemies that they have to um, encounter one by one in order to achieve their dream of winning the nationals and becoming the first in Japan, as in all shonen sports series. They're kind of like his really terrible series of exes that you have to face one by one. Each member of the Generation of Miracles is a very different archetype. You have your... Sorry, I'm going to horribly mangle the pronunciation. Uh, Sunder, Midorama. And then you have Amane, who's the bad boy. Kisei, who's the prince type. And Kisei is the first of the generation of miracles you meet where he just comes onto the manga panels all sparkling and asking Kuroko to run away to his school. Yeah, so leading on from Quim, I think one of the recurrent themes is that despite Kuroko wanting to defeat them and them wanting to, and each of the generation of miracles who are now each at their own own school or playing against each other or wanting to win, it's really clear that they still they still respect and admire Kuroko a lot. And that's pretty obvious when we meet the first member of the generation of miracles who shows up. And pretty much the first thing he says to Kagami is that he's not, you know he's not good enough to be partner with Kuroko as a as a part, basketball teammate, and asks Kuroko to transfer over to his school. And while the other members of the Generation of Miracles aren't as explicit about that, there definitely is that recurring pattern okay. where they meet up with Wait, Kagami and yeah, not as explicit. Midorima and and Rasaki Bara pretty much aren't that interested in kidnapping Kuroko back to their own school. I'd say that I'm sort of in keeping with what's different about Kuroko no Basuke as yeah. opposed to mm-hmm. other shonen series. It's that um, it's that you get don't usually get the protagonist who has all this history with the rival schools. Usually you get a senior or really some, just some random side person who can stare across the court and be like, I must defeat this person because of extended flashback. <laughs> uh... 
I don't I do think, think it's, it's un- I don't think yeah. it's unknown in previous sports series, although I can't think of any off the top of my head because it's late at night. Um, but you do get the shown the rival characters whom you've got a little bit of history with as well in other series, but it's it's taken very, very far in Kuroko no Basuke. They yeah. they have a lot of history. Even with the most with the more minor rivals that aren't necessarily members of the Generation of Miracles, Hanamiya he's definitely not involved in that, but he also has a lot of shared history with Kiyoshi, which is really important to his character arc and et cetera, et cetera. So there's definitely a well, I like to call it the ex-boyfriends trope that the series really likes, where everyone seems to have a childhood friend or enemy who ruined their life and that they need to solve by facing them on a basketball court. I mean, so much of every single game is a flashback that, I mean, not that that's bad, but there's, it's definitely a story that's told in two time periods or a few more than that. Yeah, and for virtually every character in the series, what's more important that um, what happened last year or in the years in middle school is is really important for the implications of the current stories being told over the period of one one year in the lead up to nationals. One of the things that becomes really evident is that because they were winning so often, they were so undefeatable, the generation of miracles really affected how everyone in Japan junior high basketball played and a lot of the characters throughout the series um, had crises of faith, so to speak, and didn't feel that, felt that they could never be talented enough or good enough at basketball or were de- devastated by a defeat. And there are stories among those characters and between each other, as well as with the generations of miracles, who often didn't remember the people that defeated, but the players who had been defeated by them definitely remembered them. I think that does lead into one of the ways in which the series is unique, just because most sports series, the story would have been about the generation of miracles in middle school and them becoming amazing players. And instead, in this series, you really have them after that's happened, and it's kind of the story after the the typical shonen sports series reaches the end and what happens after, what happens with the genius and all the talent. And instead, you get kind of... The, the dark side of genius because all the generation of miracles kind of come to dislike basketball in certain ways because of their talent. And then the series is very much about them learning to like it again and Kuroko finding another way to play basketball that involves teamwork and hard work more than just genius and sheer talent. Right. And to sort of uh, play off what Tor was saying, I think what's really interesting about Kuroko no Basuke is that it really explores the negative side of victory. And that's kind of like an ongoing theme, you know, is winning too much? Is a guaranteed victory, as it sort of became in the case of Generation Miracles, um, a bad thing? And um, in some ways it is. And you sort of see the like the toxic effects of that on not just the generation of miracles psyche but um as everyone said um all the players that came into contact with them during this middle school era 
I just want to sort of quickly summarize that the anime is actually available on、uh, Crunchyroll, and、um, the manga is also scanlated up to the most recent chapter. And we'll provide、uh, links to where you can find episodes and manga scanlations. Particularly the scanlations that we all prefer to read.、Huh. I, I just also want to note that because the second season of the anime is currently airing, this is a pretty good time to get into the fandom. It's、uh, everyone's very excited and active about seeing their favorite manga episodes being translated into animated episodes right now. I actually started by watching the entire anime first, and that was my only exposure for a little bit. I was. I, after I finished the anime for a while, I was I was actually told myself I was going to hold off and I wasn't going to read until I was on my winter break. And then I came home for Thanksgiving and I just gave up and read the entire thing in a weekend. But、um, I think the the anime, in a lot of ways, might be a better starting point for people. For one thing, a lot of people really criticize the early art. I think it has its own charms. But that that I think I looked at the first couple of chapters of the manga while I was、um, watching the anime, and I thought that it was really bad. So I think like afterwards, you can sort of appreciate it more because you, you're you're more focused on what's happening and like small differences between like the anime and the manga. But especially if you haven't really gotten into sports series before, I think that having a lot of that seeing all the action and having voices and music and Like animated basketball really helps because I think it can drag a bit when you're when you're reading. Well, it it drags a lot when you're reading. I mean, that's even once you're used to it, some of it gets a bit um loaded. I don't know. Yeah, one of the really good things about the anime, well, we all joke about quality, but the basketball scenes, the action scenes, are really amazing. And every time you watch it, it's kind of like, oh yeah, this was really cool. And that's a really, that's actually one of the best ways to get people into the series. You show them a clip of the basketball being played. Yeah, yeah, the anime does have quite nice quality, especially for a sports series. And I think it is a pretty faithful adaptation. And in some ways, I think the anime actually has better pacing in a lot of places. So I think it's easier to get into the series through the anime, as Anna said. And then you go back, and there are definitely things in the manga that the anime leaves out that are well worth going back to read. Like there's some of the funnier chapters actually weren't in the anime until recently, and were just released as an OVA. So I do think it, you don't want to do only one. They both have their own virtues, but I think in terms of just Getting into the series in a more coherent way, and as Anna mentioned about the art, there's definitely an evolution of style that's incredibly noticeable. The anime is just easier to start with, and it is a good adaptation, so you're not particularly missing anything by starting with、yeah. it. Also, just as a little aside about that, I think most of the fandom assumes that at this point that most people aren't anime only. As far as I know, I think most people assume that、um, people have watched the anime and then read like all the mangas. So, yeah, that's the thing about spoilers, spoilers that happen. So spoilers、yes. might be、um, a lot of the times aren't very well marked because people aren't really thinking in terms of that.
Yeah, it, it's definitely not a spoiler safe space, especially on yeah. Tumblr. So yeah, that's probably a caveat to I anyone. Mean, so, yeah. I mean, since <laughs> it's a weekly series, people definitely get very excited and post new screen grabs of and the pages as soon as they can, especially because Tumblr culture is so fast moving that you want to get the content out there. So it's very difficult to avoid spoilers. Yeah, I mean, even with, like, the anime, if you're trying to avoid, say, um, like, end card spoilers or whatever, you're not going to be able to because people are just going to post it everywhere and not really, for the most part, not really considerate spoilers. Another thing is that we just came off a really long hiatus, and in this desert, we're basically reduced to waiting for raws every, waiting for the manga raws every single week. And that would get actually very cutthroat in itself. People would post different summaries. We would post different spoiler pictures. It would be up to the out, up to the minute updates on the progress of the chapter. And just to clarify, what just means by hiatus was that there was a long break between season one and season two, and um, now season two is airing. So, um, so we have both anime and manga to look forward to. Um, I think uh, one of the upsides of this sort of very fast moving not spoiler safe fandom culture is that it really gives you an incentive to stay up to date with the series um i certainly know that i with a lot of my other fandoms i tend to sort of wait a while and then read a lot of scans in one go i cannot do that with kuroko no basuke so this is one of the few fandoms that i actually read the chapters as they come out and I think there's a real sense of excitement that goes with that because you have the fandom that's following the canon every single week and then, you know, evolving its fandom as things go along. And it's not just the new new chapters. Every time some new detail comes out, um, volume 25, which is the collected volume of the, the manga just came out and there were more, you know, background panels showing one of the Generation of Miracles homes and there was a... <sighs> <laughs> question and answer about Kuroko's parents and that that was pretty much all over the internet and um, yeah, the fandom is very detail oriented yeah. and very into collecting as much information as possible which I think is in the nature of the series because it is much more focused on basketball than the characters home mm-hmm. lives like you don't see most of their families except for the main teams but at the same time, it kind of leaves the yeah. fandom very interested in gathering up any mm. details you can get. We don't have a lot of details, but at the same time, it's it's a very, very character-oriented series. And uh, the fandom is yeah. basically sits around the, the five generation of miracles characters <clears throat> plus Kuroko and Kagami. So people are very invested in finding out more about them. And that actually gives us a really good segue to sort of talk about each of the characters in more details. And um, we've been sort of talking about the series in general, but we want to really focus on these characters that captured our interest because I think that's really what drives the series. I mean, it is about basketball. It is all about being passionate about basketball, but we should add like a big warning sign. The basketball in this series is not that accurate. So. <laughs> Yeah, accuracy. Um, there's some things that... Move that the, the author had to redraw for the collection because it was actually an illegal move. So That's you could tell yeah. very much he was learning about basketball as he was going on. Yes. Fujimaki didn't know anything. Yeah, Fujimaki is a manga. He didn't know basketball when he started writing it. 
It's not quite at Prince of Tennis levels of ridiculousness, but that is know. true. Yeah, the, I think the pers- the the author of Prince of Tennis actually did play tennis and was actually, you know, yeah. near the rules. He just tries to ignore them. But it's, it's, it's obvious in Kurokono Basuke that he didn't know all the rules. Yes. But yes. there are more basketball rules than tennis rules, to be fair. Yes. And I, th- I think he's trying to get a little better, but it's very clear that Fujimaki, who is the mangaka, does not know any basketball. Okay, um, but yeah, as I, as we were saying, it was a very um, it is a very character driven series. So I thought we can start off by talking about the title character, Kuroko. Who has feelings about Kuroko? You do. So Tari. many feelings. Okay, Kuroko can go. Okay, so Kuroko is my favorite character. Um, this is partly because I really identify with his invisibility. He basically... <laughs> no, you have to understand, one time someone sat on me on the bus because they didn't see me. <laughs> Which is exactly the sort of thing that happens to Kuroko. You know, he's been like standing there all the while and everyone's like, where's Kuroko? And he's just like, I've been here all along, and uh, and they like all freak out because oh my gosh, where did he come from? Um, so I really identify with that. He's uh, really um, interesting because you know he he's quiet and reserved, but he's also really blunt and um, and has a real star- sarcastic streak too. And I think that kind of nuances what mm. makes him really interesting. Kim, do you have anything that you want to add to that? <laughs> Uh, I know you share my Kuroko feelings. Deeply. Intensely. (laughs) (laughs) I really like his sarcastic streak. So, for example, we mentioned briefly that Kisei is the first member of the Generation of Miracles, and Kisei is being a total prince character. He's sparkling. He's really... He's a model. He's popular, etc., etc., etc. All of the shoujo prince tropes rolled into one, and Kuroko's just not impressed, not impressed at all. And that's one of the things that happens throughout all of the series. Like, Kuroko tends to be very calm and slightly evil with planning some of his revenge over things. Like, uh, there's a dog that's introduced later on in the series, and the dog and Kuroko get along very well. Much to Kagame's detriment. And he's just a lot of fun. I mean, who wouldn't want the ability to sneak up on everyone? Okay, Kagami, which um, other people have very strong feelings about. Anyone want to talk about Kagami? Anna. Cough, Anna, cough. Anna, cough. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start if you want. I can talk about him, possibly. Possibly. Um, for hours. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if anyone listening hasn't figured it out, um, Kagami is my favorite character. And I mean, as was mentioned earlier, he's sort of, in the way that um, Kuroko is a bit more, I mean, the most similar character I can think of in Shonen Manga to him, even though he's very, very different, is someone like Suna from... Katakyo Hitman and Reborn, which is it's totally different in genre, but actually very similar in fandom. So Kagami is much more like the, your typical like brash and so much of the series sort of like stupid 
um, <laughs> shonen, pro- shonen protagonist. I mean, his entire, um, he's this guy who, you know, he comes onto the scene and Enrico, his coach, says something about how he has the um, presence of a wild tiger. And it's, I mean, that pretty much summarizes it. His first name is Taiga, which means that, like, everything, all of that is sort of a pun. So his entire, like, basketball skill set revolves around jumping. There's a lot, especially later, about how, so, like, most of it is about how his partnership with Kuroko makes him a better basketball player. But there's also a lot about how he's sort of this miracle who wasn't a miracle. He's sort of, like, the only person who can match the generation of miracles. There's a lot of... um, like fate imagery there, depending on who you want to talk about. But in terms of him himself, I think what's endearing is that even though he is sort of this, like, he's like this huge, like, he definitely seems like this, like, scary, very, like, typical shown protagonist, but he also, he's also in some ways very soft. This gets played up a lot in Phantom 2. I think what Clem mentioned earlier about, um, I think it was Clem who mentioned um, Kuroko's dog, is that, um, like, Kagami, he got bitten by a dog when he was younger, so he's, like, really, really scared of them up until he meets Kuroko's dog, and eventually he sort of gets over it. And also, he cooks, and about halfway, about, like, 70 chapters in, we find out that Kagami has this um, older brother figure named Timuro, who... um, who Kagami has a lot of, um, he's very, like, affectionate. He's ob- he's very obviously, um, he very obviously, like, still thinks about him because there's this whole stuff with, like, this, like, ring imagery, and I, I can't even get into it. I can't. No. Okay, so basically, yeah, I, Kagami sits in a dark room and stares at the ring that Himura gave him when they were, I don't know, eight so years old. Funny. He just wears it all the time. And yes. then when he loses it, he freaks out. And now you're being attacked by feels. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Before we dissolve into incoherence, we'll, we'll just say that they're childhood friends and they have like a tragic backstory. And well, okay, it's not that tragic, but it feels tragic to them. And, um, and it, it gives us all a lot of feels. <laughs> okay, there are some people who would consider that not Kuroko isn't really the sort of harem center of the anime. It's actually Kagami. Because it's Kagami who is the one who is considered and who is rather becomes the equal rival to the generation of miracles because he's of the same type as them. He's the same genius person as they as they are. So they all start pursuing him. It's very sexy. Well, at the same time, I do think the series is very much about Kuroko, because even though it's Kagami who is the genius and who is the match of the Generation of Miracles, it's very much about Kuroko's history with them and his quest to kind of make them acknowledge him after the what happened at Taiko. There is this big mystery in the series that's presented right away about why Kuroko... Um, basically resigned from Teiko's middle school basketball club after their third national title win. So I would I would say that it's not quite fair to say that Kagami is more the hero of the story because it is that's very much saying, about though. Kuroko's history. Well, I think that's one of the... We were just talking about the Harem Center. 
Yeah, well, I, th- I think that's actually one of the nice parts about the series is that the center stage is sort of shared by these two characters who yeah. are very different types of protagonists. And in a way, um, really, the true true character arc, I guess, is about like their relationship and how that evolves as they face all these um, you know, rivals, basically. So I think that's, that's yet another way that this uh, manga it sort of deviates from the usual um, sort of shonen um story that we're all used to just as a tiny small side i know a lot of people who have said that if the manga was just about one of them or the other one that it wouldn't be as interesting that they probably wouldn't have gotten into it if it was just kagami's story or just kuroko's story Mm -hmm. yeah i really agree with that all right so um shall we uh start talking about generation of miracles so why don't we first talk about Kise? Okay, so we've talked a little about how Kise is very much the shoujo prince type character. And he shows up and your first meeting with him is he's surrounded by this kind of lingering crowd of fangirls that he can't quite escape because he's a model and gorgeous and talented and famous. And so it's a surprise to the members of Seiren that he plays basketball also because it doesn't fit his image so much. When he actually gets on the court, he has this kind of total image switch where he's incredibly into basketball and despite his shoujo prince kind of tropes, he's actually quite a bit of a jerk in a lot of ways, which is actually what I like about him most, just because you do have this switch of character. He's very much... I. I enjoy making fun of the characters I like, and a lot of his story is that he was so good at everything that he was bored, and everything was too easy, and all these ridiculous things, which plays into the um, the darker side of genius theme that the series has going on. So you have Kisei, who is too good for everything, but manages to find something in basketball by... Um, because the other members of the Generation of Miracles, particularly Aumine, are so amazing at it that he thinks that this is actually something that he'd have to try for and have to work for, and so he can get fired up about it. So you have this character with these two sides, and then you also find out, because he's so perfect, the manga kind of has this built-in thing to make you not totally hate this character who is all about being perfect and too good for things, and so he's he's built up at first to be quite a bit of a jerk. Like he is incredibly dismissive of Kagami. As we talked about, he asks Kuroko to come join his team because he says that Seiren isn't good enough. So he's presented as this arrogant jerk. And then you meet the rest of his team, and his team captain is no nonsense and not having anything to do with this brat. So whenever he say has his crowd of fangirls at practice or is getting too full of himself. Kazumatsu, who is his captain, does this flying kick and totally just wipes him out. So you yeah, have this flying kick because he's so much shorter yes. than Kisei. You have this great slapstick that's going on that Kisei, Kisei suffers in the series for his perfectness in a way that I find incredibly endearing and quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then moving on to Midorima. Yes, who wants to talk about Midorima? Me, me, me. All right, all yours, Jis. Okay, um, so Midorima is the second member of the Generation of Miracles we meet. And he is 
the categorically weirdest one of them. He's <laughs> no, he's not. Quiet. No, They're all weird. Quiet. He's he's very deeply superstitious. He tunes in every morning to the horoscope section of a morning talk show, and they tell him what his lucky item is for the day and what what sort of level his luck is measured against the other zodiacs. And if he doesn't have this lucky item with him, he will die. <laughs> you think I'm joking? He really almost died several times. He has morbidly bad luck. But on the flip side of this, when he has when he does have his lucky item, he makes all of his three pointers, his three point shots with 100% accuracy. And he can't just he doesn't just make them from the outside, he makes them from the other end of the court. We have so in Midorima we have um the sort of unbelievable genius aspect. And we also have the fact that he's an insufferable genius because one, he's incredibly lucky and two, he's very arrogant about it. He thinks that he is the one who should do everything, who should win all the points because obviously he's the hundred percent, he's the hundred percent scorer in scoring ace. And he also insists on having his own way most of the time. His team deals with this um, by just giving him three selfish wishes. And if he exceeds his three requests, they beat him up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, actually, have they ever beaten him up? Because I've never actually seen this. He's very careful. He's always been exceed. very careful to stay within the free requests, though. Very, yeah, he's afraid yeah. of um, His seniors are very clear about how exactly how he'll be pelted with hard pineapples and other large <laughs> fruit if he does exceed them. So they've kind of put the terror of fruit into him. Yeah, like uh, one of the things that is that is very, I guess, very inherent in the series is that, not in series, in the in Japanese society is that you have to be respectful of those who are your seniors in the team. And all the generation of makers right now are first years, but they get to bypass this because they are such amazing aces, but all their seniors really resent this, so they make their lives hell. <laughs> and it's hugely entertaining. Yes, very entertaining. Oh, I was going to add that his, he makes his boyfriend cut him around in a rickshaw, but that's, that's not proven. We can talk about that's that in Shivan. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get to uh, Midorima's uh, boyfriend later on. Ha ha ha. Okay, uh, Aomine, who is the next step of the Miracle of Generations, and yes, Aomine, go ahead. <laughs> yes, all yours, Anna. <laughs> yeah. All oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so Almine is the third gener- is the third member of the Generation of Miracles. He is the second character with blue hair because Kuroko, besides his name meaning black and inexplic- inexplicably his light blue hair, Almine is for the first half about of what's currently out is actually the um. He's the he's the main antagonist. He's the mid boss. <laughs> yeah, but he's I mean he's he's a mid boss, but he's considered the main antagonist. So his basketball style is sort of centered around this sort of street ball style where he's very unpredictable and can sort of and sort of shoots from these strange places. He shoots from the floor. I still don't understand that. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. And um Special basketball so, powers. Laws of yeah, physics do not apply to Kuroko no Basuke. <laughs> yeah, there, there's not much logic there, but 
I think I think Almine actually sort of like openly defies a lot of it the most <laughs> in the in the least subtle way. I mean, every all of them do, but Almine is very much not subtle. So anyway, so his entire like complex is about how he's sort of this like undefeatable player that like no one can defeat his style. That he always wins in one on one. He doesn't necessarily always make his shots, but he's <clears throat> really fast and he's sort of incredibly intimidating and terrifying. So I think I actually liked him immediately, which I don't know is that common. I think a lot of people, he sort of, like he definitely has like the deepest, like evolution, like he has like the most obvious evolution from middle school to high school. Like in middle school, he's really idealistic. He tells Kuroko at one point that, you know, I know you can't be a bad guy because you play basketball. Which, when you view, when you when you view that next to how he is, say when he first meets Kagami and he challenges him to a street match, and he tells him that his light is too dim, which doesn't make any sense. But so there's this whole um, yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit more about the light shadow metaphor? Okay. So yeah. So he so he does evolve from this whole. For one thing, I was getting there. So he evolves from this like really idealistic like. Well, you can't be a bad guy if I if you play basketball, which he says to Kuroko, to this guy who is very much openly an asshole. He's very openly kind of aggressive towards people, and he's very like disaffected. He's really lazy, like especially I think the laziness. He has like no motivation. He just like sleeps on the roof. He doesn't go to practice. He just thinks, okay, I don't need to practice because if I practice more, then It'll be even, There's even less people to play because with because even less people can beat me. So, so, but so then we get to this whole like light metaphor, which actually I could have talked about with Kagami too, but Alamina was kind of the originator of it. And so, when he tells Kagami that his light is too dim, what he's talking about is that um, Kuroko is considered a shadow character. He he's a supporting he's a supporter. He's not like the main, he's not, I mean, he, he's obviously the main character of the series, but he's not sort of like the main star on the court. He supports someone else so that they can become a better player. So he, so Kuroko tells Kagami that he will be his <clears throat> shadow, right? So then what Almine is saying is basically, you're not good enough to be, you're, you're not really a good enough player for Kuroko to be supporting you. And that he is not at his best because you are not as good as me. <laughs> <laughs> Toho, his team, is the only team that ever beats Saren in the, in the context of the series like that we see. So he's like definitely, I think, he's really important to how Kuroko and Kagami's relationship plays out as a friendship. I think a little bit after that, he sort of, he grows to, he doesn't, I don't know if he ever actually comes back to really um, respected, but we see a lot of him in, I mean, not just in how he behaves with Kagami and um, Kuroko, but also in how he behaves with Kize, I think actually, because he sort of has this um, other, like, key match. I think Almina, even in that, said that Kize, at that point, was the only person that he was interested in playing against. At that point, it's basically Almine doesn't 
feel the need to come to practice or even show up to most games because he feels like there's no challenge. And the match against Kise is one where he actually shows up on time and ready without any of his minders having to badger him into it because he's so excited to play against Kise because it's the first actual challenge he can have. I think um, it's it's probably worth mentioning that Aomine is very, 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 very much overwhelmingly a fan favourite, especially in the English language fandom. <clears throat> Got a match with, between Sarin and Kyo coming up in the next month or two of the anime, and I pretty much expect my Tumblr dash to be flooded with pictures of Aomine to the point where I'll just be sick of him, which was exactly the same position I was in last last year. And I do actually like Aomine, don't get me wrong. Part of his popularity in fandom, though, is a reflection of how central he is to the series, just because a lot of the driving force behind what moves the plot does end up being centered around him. So yeah, I think yeah. in that respect, it's not a surprise that he's super popular because he's also very central to a lot of the things in the series. His basketball is <clears throat> is amazing to watch because that, that would be yeah. my main argument watching the anime. I, um, I think when you're in the manga and you're just kind of seeing the panels, the still panels, you, you're kind of wondering why is he so upset about being the strongest and being amazing and not having anyone who can beat him. And, and then you just get annoyed at him sometimes. But he is really amazing to watch in the matches that he plays against Kagami and Kuro and Kise. Yeah, and just sort of to add to what Tor said, as we sort of mentioned earlier, one of the themes in the in the story is like the darker sides of genius. And I think Aumine sort of displays that in the most, um, I guess, fascinating way because he really is like the genius among geniuses in a sense. Like uh, yeah. in the in the Generation of Miracles, he's like he's their ace player, and he's you know. It sounds melodramatic, you know, but he, he is genuinely depressed over the fact that no one can beat him, that no one can really challenge him in a sport that he loves with all his soul. In fact, it's like possibly the only thing he really cares about, right, is basketball. And um, and he and goes... And porn, <laughs> yes, yes. Alvin is a very typical teenage boy in that respect. Yeah, and... And you can really see that he went through this, like, incredibly deep disillusionment when he realizes that he isn't getting, like, challenged, really, in his matches, that people have given up before they even face him on the court. So in that respect, um, you can sort of understand why fandom is so fascinated with him, because he's he really is, uh, I think, a complex and unusual character. And, you know, while, like Lynn, I do kind of get sick of him and I make fun of him a lot, because he's sort of easy to make fun of. Uh, um, I, I do to be that... fair, there's a lot in the series that's easy to make fun of, but we do it affectionately. <laughs> yes, we do everything, everything affectionately. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, um, I think I think that's one of the reasons why he's become so popular in the English language fandom because there's he has a really interesting story. Okay, Murasaki Bara, about which people don't talk about that much, but. Does anyone have feelings about purple? Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I think probably me and Jess. Oh, and just for the record, we call him purple because he has purple hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we forgot to talk about the colors properly. I think we've mentioned that Almond has blue hair, but each of the Generation of Miracles has their own special color. 
Which so, is why they're sometimes referred to as Skittles. <laughs> yes. All right. Jess, do you want to talk about purple or does anyone else want to talk about purple? I'll do purple. Well, purple falls into very much the mold that we've been um, mm. discussing right quite now. Um, the insufferable genius, the guy who's completely tired of winning. And um, the thing about purple is that he's two meters tall. He's two meters and 10 cm tall. That's about um, six. How, how many inches six is that? Eight. Yeah, six, like six foot eight. Foot eight. And um, he's been this height since I think he was 14. So straight off, this should tell, if you know anything about basketball, this should tell you just how much he dominates over basically ev almost everyone who tries to play him because he's not just very tall. He's also very fast and very athletic. And um, he's been this good almost all his life. Like he's played basketball in grade school. And from then until now, he's cultivated this attitude that it doesn't matter what your weaklings do. I'm always going to win because I was born this way. I was privileged by nature to win. And Kuroko really doesn't like this. Okay, you know, we, we've talked about how Kuroko is very undersized and bad at everything. And his attitude and his attitude um, opposed to Maurice Agabaras is, don't tell me that my hard work is worthless. Um, Kuroko is not bad at everything. Yes, he is. He's good at passing. He's good at passing. Aren't they supposed to get along well off the court? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's a very he, he has a very childish and um, not not simplistic, un, um, very unbothered attitude. He likes to eat, and that's it. He likes to eat, and he likes to win. So like you can more just gives him everything that he wants to eat, and he'll do what you say. But other than that, he's he's a bit of the same type as Almine. He's unmotivated. He's lazy. He would prefer not to go to practice and maybe even not to play basketball at all. Yeah, in contrast to Almine, Murazaki Barra is the type that he plays basketball because he's good at it, or not because he likes it, or so he says, which is gets into his character arc. But it's very much he just does it because he can do it and win, not because he really feels like he gets any enjoyment out of basketball. Plus, I would add that that Murasaki Barra actually does show up to practice and train pretty hard even throughout you know throughout the <clears> canon <throat> year so he's not skipping practice not like Almine. he's kind of a, a fanatic about snacks and basically eats constantly the most effective way to get him to do as he's told is to just throw food at him and and distract him and then he'll kind of go along with things he's a very simple person <laughs> Yes, and that's part of his charm. All right, and then the final boss character, the last of the generation of miracles, and the captain of the middle school team is Akashi. And Lynn is our resident Akashi fangirl, <laughs> so I'll give the stage to her. So Akashi is the captain of the generation of miracles, and I think we basically get a whole lot of conflicting information about Akashi and that's why he's often the, aside from the fact that he was kept hidden for a really long time and you're only really starting to discover information about him now is that Fujimaki would give us lots of hints in the early manga and they would all seem to kind of contradict each other. One of the first scenes in which we, I think the first scene in which we really see his face probably attempts to stab Kagami in the face, which 
which for a very long time was his defining scene and there's a lot of there's a lot of fan art, a lot of fan fiction all about that scene. So you get the sense that he can be violent and unpredictable, but then on the flip side you you get the fact that he he seems really in control. He's actually the only well, the only one of the generation of miracles is the captain of his team. He's basically perfect grades, seems to get along really well with with adults and socially when he's not stabbing people in the face. So so in fact, Akashi is a little bit of a mystery as he goes through the manga and he also seems to have a lot of backstory with Kuroko, which really wasn't which really wasn't explored in detail un, until the recent flashback arc. I won't go into that in too much detail because that is one of the sections that's quite spoilery, but we do get a whole a whole arc when we look at what happened at Teiko and Guruko finally comes out with everything that went on and why he quit the team. So um, if I have anything to add to that, it's also that one of the defining characteristics of Akashi is that he's sort of presented as this like master strategist character in his spare time outside of basketball he likes to play uh, shogi which is uh, Japanese chess and um, we get scenes of him playing shogi with uh, Midorima who is the um, the vice captain during their years at Teiko and, um, and Midorima has never won against Akashi even once so um, that's kind of like another sort of uh, uh, defining characteristic of Akashi that he wins at everything. He's never lost, not yeah. even at shogi or anything else outside of basketball. And um, and he also has this sort of like whole long rivalry specifically with Hidorima. Yeah. So I think that just bouncing off that, I might add he's got the same kind of pattern as he's the final boss in the series. And and he echoes um, the fact that you know Aomine has never, never lost when we first introduced in the series. Never lost at basketball. Akashi has just never lost it, anything at all. But unlike Aomine, who gets depressed about the fact that there isn't anyone who can seriously challenge him, Akashi kind of sees his role as to just keep winning and winning and winning, and making sure that he continues to win and everything he's got. I might be quoting it wrong. One of the first things he says in the series is that the world is set up to reward lo- uh, winners and deny losers. I am quoting that wrong, but and but you um, got the general sentiment from that. Yeah, the general sentiment and his actual sort of personality breakdown in in their own ways. All of the generation of miracles go go through this kind of personality decline in throughout. The, their time at Teiko, and you could just call that puberty, or um, but you could also see that as what's happened because of what's because of their genius and the endless winning and how they get bored with their talent. And Akashi's actual crisis of personality comes at a point where he, to be vague about it, he you know he he faces the threat of losing at something for the first time in its life, his life, and then that's. And that's when he kind of turns into uh, the kind of darker personality that we see when we first meet him in high school. Yeah, I just wanted to sort of um, add as like a side note that if 
this is a really good time to get into the fandom because the second season of the anime is airing. It's also a good time to get into the fandom because in the manga, we are having that final boss showdown and the epic game between Seiren and Rakuzan, which is Akashi's team. So, so, um, so yeah, on, on both the manga and anime side, there's, you know, epic things going on right now. So that sort of covers all the really central characters of the series, but I also wanted to give shout-outs to um, a lot of the uh, minor characters because I think, despite the sort of fanish focus on Kuroko, Kagami, and the Generation Miracles, there's like a really great ensemble vibe that we get from the series. And I wanted to sort of start off by mentioning the the very few but very awesome female characters. We have Riko, who is the coach of the Satan team. And this is really unusual because um, she's a second-year student. She's basically not a manager-type character, which is what you usually see with female characters in sports manga. But um, she's their coach, and she's in charge of their training. So her special power requires demanding that all members of the team strip and remove their shirts immediately so that she may observe them to analyze their statistics. <laughs> yes. And she actually pauses quite a bit when she's analyzing Kagame's statistics. <laughs> we, we, we make it sound a lot, uh, uh, I guess, um, suggestive than it is in the manga. Um, you sort of get like uh, her view of of um, these characters, and she basically sees like all these like numbers overlaid on them. That's their like you know how much like strength they have and how much endurance they have, and like you know she can just tell this all by like looking at their <laughs> figures. Um, the reason why um, she has this special superpower is because um, her father actually runs a training gym, so she's been <laughs> surrounded by athletes all her life, and she um, basically knows a lot about about sports training. So it's, it's really awesome that um, she's not only like this uh, sort of authority figure, but she also is like, you know, very competent at what she does. And there's like several moments in the series where people are like, oh, they have a female coach. And then they realize just how um, <laughs> cutthroat Rico can be. Okay, um, so the next uh, female character that shows up a lot is Momoi, who is the childhood friend of Aomine, and she's um, the manager. She used to be the manager for their middle school team at Teiko, and she continues to be the team manager for um, Aomine's uh, team at uh, Toho. Momoi is, she's basically our number one fan service girl in the series. She's very pretty. She has, um, she's decently endowed. And, uh, and she's in love with Kuroko, which actually mystifies everyone because Kuroko? Really? But what she sees in Kuroko is she thinks that his bravery and his dedication are very, are very good characteristics. And, um, you can see that she admires him, but she's also, um, as said, you know, she's Amine's childhood friend. And um, the childhood friend narrative is very strong in this manga. She goes to support him even though she loves Kuroko because Amine's sort of descent is very worrying to her. Um, but she, she's, she by herself, she's not just a caring type character. She also has a sort of secondary data power where she takes the, takes the information that she gains from scouting other teams 
and then she constructs a projection of how they are going to behave in their future games and then she gives this information to the players and this can give the team quite a decisive edge in their off in their offense against other teams yes yes yeah, she's basically a statistics genius which um is pretty cool if there's no other thoughts on Lomoli, uh, uh, let's talk about Alex. So Alex is actually, uh, I think we didn't quite go into this with uh, Kagami, but he actually um, spent part of his childhood in the U.S. And um, that was where he learned basketball in Los Angeles, basically. One of the people who really trains him in basketball is Alex, who is a former WNBA player. And yeah, how to describe Alex? Anyone want to jump in here? Alex was mentioned a few times before she was actually introduced. And I believe that before she was actually introduced, everyone assumed, everyone assumes in series that Alex is male. And then I don't remember what game it was after, but so they come over to Kagami's apartment and someone goes into his room and they find this woman who's basically naked lying in his room and she like wakes up and I think like the first thing she does is kiss Kagami right (laughs) so she's um so it's sort of it's definitely sort of um uh it's it's fan servicey it's also a bit of a um kind of awkward stereotype of Hispanic women because she's Alex Garcia. She's obviously um she's obviously meant to be Latina. So but she um she trains Kagami. She also trains um Himuro because while well, they're both in America and she doesn't get a whole lot of um screen time in the series but she's very interested in making Kagami a better player and making Himuro a better player and sort of watching them grow and she's very interested in the generation of miracles sort of like she didn't really know very much about Japanese basketball but that it's actually pretty interesting even on the high school level what i really like about her is how she's kind of set up to be you expect Kagami's amazing coach who can teach him all these special techniques to be male. And then it turns out to be this woman who is very confident in herself. She is definitely a stereotype, but at the same time, she's also a very confident, confident woman. So I do really like her character just because she comes to Japan and she takes none of this nonsense from other players, from other characters. So you do, despite the stereotype, I think there is quite a bit of complexity to her character because she ended up training Kagami and Himuro because she had some kind of disease that was affecting her eyesight. You have this female character who's kind of taking the position of the typical male mentor, which I think is actually a great reversal, especially in a series where you don't have that many female characters. Okay, and then I think Lynn in particular wanted me to make sure that we also mention Araki, who um, is another female coach in the manga. She's also an adult character, not a high school student. Lynn, do you want to talk about her? She is an interesting character. She's the she's the only female coach other than Rika, and she is Purple's coach and basically hits him a lot. <laughs> 
there we came up with this theory of who 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 purple would obey and it would have it would have to fall within two criteria is pretty and can destroy me. <laughs> um, that really sums it up. It, it does yeah, sum so it up quite nicely. <laughs> All right. Okay. So yeah, there aren't that many female characters, sadly, but the ones there are are really quite awesome, and I think all of us are pretty eager to see fan works around them. Some of the other characters that I thought we should probably make sure we at least mention. So out of the teammates that Kuroko and Kagami have at Seiden, I think the probably the most major ones are two of their senpai, um, Hyuga and Kiyoshi. And Hyuga, Kiyoshi, along with Riko, their coach, all have their own like sort of backstory, which we may like sort of go into more detail later. But does anyone want to just sort of give a quick overview of what they're like as characters? Hyuga is the captain of the team and at first glance he appears to be a fairly responsible captain glasses character pretty serious and then he gets into clutch mode and he's basically a giant asshole when he's in clutch mode where he while he generally talks fairly politely normally he just completely lose it when he's in clutch mode and starts swearing and surprise the hell out of people that don't know about it and his tragic backstory was that he went up against the Generation of Miracles in middle school but failed and decided that he was going to give up basketball. Tragic. Absolutely tragic. And Kiyoshi's the character that brought him back in. I guess I'll talk about Kiyoshi then. Kiyoshi is one of the uncrowned generals who are these second-year characters who had it not been for the generation of miracles all being born in the same year and gathering at the same school would have been, you know, the, the prodigies of the current middle school basketball scene. And Kiyoshi is one of them. And he actually comes back to Seiren in the middle of the series because he suffered an injury that he's recovering from. So Kiyoshi has a lot of past with one of the other uncrowned generals that I won't get into because it's, it's going on the anime right now, so it's fairly spoilery. But he comes back, and he's kind of the pillar, one of the pillars of the team that started Seiren's basketball club the year before. He was the one who convinced Hyuga to get back into basketball. And he's very into the let's have fun while we play and let's enjoy ourselves mode of basketball. So he's also another one of these characters who went up against the Generation of Miracles. And his, a big part of his return match is with Murasaki Bara, who wants to crush him because Kiyoshi is one of the ones who went up against the Generation of Miracles and doesn't give up despite having this horrible experience of being totally destroyed by them. He's pretty much exactly the type that Murasaki Bara hates. Right, so they basically um, sort of have a whole history there as well. I think we mentioned um, some other characters in sort of the course of our discussion, so I just want to make sure we give them sort of a quick intro. So first there is the person we refer to as uh, Midorima's boyfriend, the one who hauls him around in a rickshaw. That's Takao. Anyone have sort of a good intro to Takao? Takao is, uh, he's actually one of those people who has a history with the Generation of Miracles because he played 
basketball in middle school. And when he played basketball in middle school, he also lost to Midorima at one point. Uh, unlike a lot of other people, this arose in him a desperate need to become better and to, to defeat Midorima on his own terms in the future. But um, obviously all these crumbled to dust when they ended up in the same high school together and they ended up on the same team. And so now they are sort of friends, a bit more like master and servant. <laughs> That's how Midorima would describe it at least. Yes. Um, but they do evolve a very nice partnership <laughs> that it's really a very nice thing to watch grow in the series. It's the reason that you that people should watch the series because it's so nice to see them develop okay. into a no. wonderful partnership. No. <laughs> no. Anyways, the other important thing to mention here is that um, Midorima and Takao are described in series as Shudoku's own light and shadow. So just to continue that and to give you an idea of what kind of relationship they're paralleling, they're definitely sort of paralleling Midorima and Takao with Kagami and Kuroko and Kuroko and Almine. Okay, and I think the I think we're just going to end with um, Himuro, who, who we've also sort of referred to a lot while talking about Kagami and how he has like a he's Kagami's childhood friend, and they have sort of like a whole history together. Does anyone want to quickly go into Himuro? Himuro is, for one thing, he is one of the rare second-year students. So he goes to Yozen, which for the sake of, so it's actually pretty important because he's actually, his relationship with Murasaki, with Murasaki Bara is sort of along the lines of sort of these like new school partnerships that we see with the Generation of Miracles, we see it with Takao and Midorima, we also see it with um, Kagami and Kuroko and some other people that we will cover eventually, actually I think next, so he sort of has a um, an inferiority complex with Kagami because he taught Kagami how to play and he was his sort of older brother figure, which I already sort of mentioned. And then Kagami sort of surpasses him, at which point Himuro feels like he can't be that sort of person for Kagami anymore because Kagami is no longer, for the lack of a better word, like inferior to him. He's actually a better player. So most of that arc is about sort of them trying to get onto more equal ground. And I personally think he's really interesting. He's really mysterious. He's sort of, some people will argue that in terms of like character prettiness, that he's more pretty than Kise is. That's up for debate. <laughs> he has a booty mark. What more proof do you need? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he does. It's kind of... It's kind of funny because I think a lot of people definitely sort of pick up on the fact that in terms of his appearance, he is like absolutely this like BL stereotype. I think actually more than Kize is even. Yeah, and I think the only yeah. final thing I want to note is that even though we just talked about Himuro's great angst, which is that Kagami surpassed him, um, he's actually an incredibly good basketball player and he's often described as, you know, being on the level of the generation of miracles so he's um yeah. and, and you know he also you know definitely levels up in order to try to beat kagami so so yeah they're all they're all basketball geniuses yeah another character that sort of has like a close relationship with one of the generation of miracles is kasamatsu who is kisa's captain at kaijo lynn do you want to give a quick intro to kasamatsu yeah, so 
I thought it was worth covering Kasumatsu because he's he does show up in several matches and he's got I think he's a really important character to to Kise's character development through the manga. He's the captain of the Kaijo basketball team and that's he's one of the few captain characters. He's he's a point guard, he's he's very, very good. And basically his first meeting with Kise involves him kicking Kise because he Kise showed up and said, Oh, I've got to do my modeling job and so I might have to skip practice and sparkles a lot and expects to just walk in onto the team and own it and and Kasamatsu isn't having any of that. I think he really kind of emphasizes the the importance of, of being a team and being dedicated to your sport and a lot of the ethos that as we'll see Kisei probably missed out on during his later time at Taiko and he's really important in that respect. I think the most important part of Kasamatsu's backstory is that in his second year he feel during a match he feels that he missed a critical pass and prevented Kaijo from winning the inter high. And he's always carried that burden around. That's part of what what motivates him. I, I think he's carrying a lot of unnecessary guilt personally. Captain but... guilt. Yes. Yeah. His his captainly angst. <laughs> it does make him it does help make him a good captain in that sense. And he is one of the one of the best captains in the series, in both in terms of as a strategist and thinking about leading the team on the court, and also in terms of looking after his players. We yes. are not going to go into all the all the other characters, but we've talked about school partners for Kisei, for Murasaki Bara, and for Midorima. Aomine and Akashi don't tend to have designated main school partners as such, but both the To'o and Rakuzan teams, which are their teams, tend to be fleshed out in a little bit more detail. So instead of having one character who's developed really well, we've got maybe four or five characters in those schools that you get to know. And the overall yeah, the teams are a little bit better known. So as as you can tell, there are a lot of characters in Kuroko no Basuke. And as you all know, when there are a lot of male characters, there are a lot of possible pairings. And this fandom is really all about the pairings. We're going to sort of go through the top male-male pairings. Um, this is from Japanese fandom, but they more or less mirror the top pairings in English fandom as well, although the relative order is a little bit different. So we're going to start with Kise Kuroko, which is um, shortened to Kikuro. Kikuro is one of the first pairings that we get introduced to in the series, really, um, apart from Kagame Kuroko. Kise is pretty obvious with showing his interest in Kuroko in the early days. And yes, it's yes, given that he basically kidnaps <laughs> to kidnap <laughs> Kuroko over to his school. Yes. It's not very successful. But. Alas, uh, and, Kuroko doesn't return but, his interest so much. No one really loves Kisei. Poor Kisei. <laughs> Kisei is pretty. Everyone loves bullying Kisei. Yes. Yeah, Kisei is very pretty when he so cries. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, Midorima Tako. They're in love. They're in deep love. It's a love that has lasted from middle school to high school. No one will change okay, my just, opinion. Just should not be allowed to do the summary of the pairings. 
<laughs> I think it's pretty accurate with Mido Taka because this is one of those pairings that pretty much, you know, is almost canon. So unless you happen to ship a competing ship, and I think Aka Mido is pretty much the only competing ship, you know, most people are perfectly happy to let Nidori and Takao be in love and, and do their own thing. Because mm. they hang out together all the time in canon, Takao cycles Midoriya around in the rickshaw and, and there's they both not really other explanations. Just to give a bit of clarification, there's actually a thing. So in the top nine pairings, so this is from Pixiv, which is a um, which is a fan art site, and for the most part, they're denoted by which character they consider the top and which character they consider the more like submissive or bottom. So actually, Midotaka is the only one that appears both with Midorima uh. as the top and Takao as the top. So actually, that's actually pretty striking in terms of, which shows you just how passionate Japanese fandom is about this pairing, that it's actually really popular no matter which way you parse it. I mean, yeah. a lot of people don't necessarily consider that so important, but... Mm. That's actually it just why speaks it happens. to the popularity of the pairing. Yeah. yeah. So they they count for I think they're probably the hugest pairing if you kind of combine them all together without separating who's top and who's bottom in. Yeah, they they'd beat out Kizikuro for yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay, um do we have any more to say or shall we move on to Aokuro? The next pairing is um, Aomine Kuroko or Aokuro, which is probably a lot more popular in English language fandom than it is in Japanese fandom, although it is still pretty popular in Japanese fandom. Uh, is that accurate? Huge in Japanese, in Western fandom. It's yes. the biggest thing. Probably on the, especially in the AO3. And yeah, it, it's huge. I think on, on the fanfiction.net, there's a bit more Aokise, but Aokuro have a very obvious backstory in that they're constantly compared to Kagakuro's current partnership. Aomine and Kuroko were partners at Teiko, and Aomine was the person who basically played basketball with Kuroko every day when he was they were in first year middle school together and encouraged him when Kuroko was starting to feel like he'd never... Um, he'd never make the team. So that was really important in terms of Kuroko's development in, in the backstory. And obviously Kuroko was pretty devastated when when Aomine went on his own existential crisis and decided he wasn't going to show up to practice and that he didn't enjoy basketball anymore and became very, very sad. Kuroko says at one point that all he wants to do is see Aomine playing basketball with a smile again. So there's a lot of tropes around those two and it's and it's a very interesting backstory. There's constant reminders that they understand each other really fundamentally. They're said to, to not be alike at all outside the court. Kuroko reads reads literary novels and Amina reads porn manga. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, he reads porn magazines. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's, I mean, for people who don't know what Gravoir is, it's basically um, sort of like these um, bikini issues of Sports Illustrated or like the swimsuit issues. So it's just like a lot of, a bunch of, a lot of women in sort of suggestive poses. It's not actually porn. Cheesecake. It's sort of, it's cheesecake, yeah. 
Yeah, let's, let's move on. So, in, in summary, it's a very popular pairing in the English fandom. I think there's a lot of canon material to build build on there, and, and they are called the the light and shadow in, in Taiko, at least. So we'll move on to Kagakuro, which is the light and shadow of Seirin, which is the team that Kagami and Kuroko represent in in the canon year. So Kagame and Kuroko, a lot of the series is about them finding a bond together, uh, developing their skills together. Kagame at first doesn't actually think much of Kuroko, one of Kagame's special powers is the ability to smell strong players, and Kuroko doesn't smell like anything. And he's very mystified by this until um, Kuroko reveals that he's actually um, best as a shadow who supports other players on the court and helps them shine. And his goal is to make Kagami the best in Japan. So yeah. the two of them have quite a lot of screen time together, quite a lot of character development. Kuroko really brings out the Gapmo in Kagame, I feel. So Kagame is the wild type, but he also has a more sensitive side, like the cooking, the fear of dogs and so forth. And Kuroko is one of the characters that helps show that side very effectively. I think There's the- quite a bit of canon material. Basically, the entire series is the story of Kagami and Kuroko you know, becoming these two amazing partners and the whole series is about their partnership and their bond with them and their teammates so in some ways it's the, the very obvious pairing of the series because it's Kagami is Kuroko's current partner and it's about him kind of moving on from his past and building this new future. All right next is Aomine Kise or Aokise for short and this I will have to hand off to Tor. With Aomine and Kisei, a lot of it is built upon the competitive spirit that the Generation of Miracles have once they've moved on from middle school and are finally able to face each other and not working on a team. So Kisei started, got into basketball because he saw Aomine playing and thought it was amazing and thought that this was finally something that he could really get into. So a lot of his character development is about how he admires Aomine and how he deals with being a rival to him and trying to match him and dealing with that admiration and how he also does have to be a rival and want to beat Aomine. So you do have this uh, quite a bit of history that goes into the pairing and you have all this backstory from the Taiko years. And there's Aomine, for his part, very much in a lot of ways was a mentor to Kisei and encouraged him and his teammates even say during the match they're pl- after the match they're playing that Aomine has a soft spot for Kisei. So you have that set up. What I like about it is that as Kisei gets over his admiration, he kind of becomes much more on a level footing for Aomine. So I kind of enjoy the history, but also moving past that history and how it, it has a lot to do for, with, for me with the themes of the series, with friendship through basketball and the competitive spirit and just kind of the need for rivalry and enjoying that rivalry and competition. I think the main argument for Arkise as to ship it is still the, the however many thousand pictures there are on Pixiv in terms of fan <laughs> art of it. And it, it is much more like traditional BL. It's very pretty. 
it is much more like traditional yes. BL. I was just going to say Kisei is very pretty. But anyway. It does have a lot of traditional BL tropes in it, which makes it appealing as a pairing to ship. Uh, next on the list is uh, Akashi Kuroko, Akakuro, which is my OTP for the fandom, so I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> so it's a little bit difficult to talk about Akakuro without getting into spoilers. I'm going to try not to reveal too much, but I think this pairing, um, you know, people had sort of touched on it before when um, Akashi was first introduced, but it was a little bit more of like, oh, we'll just ship Kuroko with any of the Generation of Miracles since. I think the real canon evidence for the pairing only came during this recent flashback arc where we really got the full story on Kuroko's days and Teiko. I think what really Akakuro boils down to for me is that Akashi really respects Kuroko, and Kuroko may be one of the few people that Akashi does respect. And what sort of happens is Akashi sees Kuroko wanting really desperately to, you know, be on the team, to be one of the um, people who actually get to play for Teiko um, in their basketball games. And he sort of sets him a challenge. Invent a whole new style of basketball is basically what it boils down to. And this is what basically what motivates Kuroko to discover his very unique playing style of being like this past specialist who's invisible on the court. And I think that's really what the the draw of the pairing is to me, that they both really respect each other and, and that in many ways Kuroko is like one of the few people who really exceeds Akashi's expectations of them. What's interesting is that when it comes to the fandom, as we sort of mentioned, Akashi is kind of prone to being unpredictably violent, and you get a lot of maybe um, sort of dubious consent, um, BDSM-type scenarios. Um, I personally um, don't quite agree with that interpretation of the pairing. I think like the other side of the fandom is that they also really like the like the fluff with Akashi being like this overprotective sort of shining prince type character who just wants to like coddle Kuroko and like take care of him and and I think that's like sort of the interpretation of the pairing that I prefer. Anyway, um, Akashi Kuroko has a lot of fans in English fandom and there's also a lot of fan art for it but not so much fic so um, hopefully, hopefully as people uh, get more inspired by the recent manga arc that will change. Yeah, still waiting for the fic here. <laughs> Alright, let's move on to Kisekasa, or, well, in full, Kisekasamatsu. Um, who wants to talk about that? Kikasa is... It's a pairing, basically, if you enjoy seeing pretty boys suffering in a very... Um, yeah, in a, in a, in a very... Um, sort of actually sort of shoujo kind of way but it's a it's a good pairing because you have this sort of mentor character who has to deal with this annoying genius junior the captain guild which we talked about previously really comes into play here because you can see him almost passing that burden of captain guild on the kisei i have to win for the sake of the team and they form a very strong bond and by the end of the series when they shuffle off you're crying along with them as they cry off the court. He cries a lot. Yes. yes. Very beautifully. That sums up Kisei Kasa pretty efficiently. 
All right, so the last major pairing we're going to discuss is Aomine Kagami. And yes, I'm going to let Anna talk about this. So Aomine and Kagami, they're actually, they're also rivals. They're the first rivals introduced. They are played as sort of these like eternal rivals where Kagami is like the only, is in some ways the only person who can really challenge Aomine. You, you especially see that a little bit later, actually a little bit beyond where the anime is right now, so I won't really talk about that. That's actually really where I think that Aomine and Kagami together actually shine a lot of the pairing. But most of it is played around the fact is that we have these two very similar guys. They both have these very deep relationships with Kuroko. What you get is you get these two very similar guys who initially do not get along at all, but they really still... Um, they they challenge each other and they both the problem is is that actually they're both really dumb so it's actually there's a fair amount of Almedia and Kagami fic but it's kind of difficult to write I mean it, they're kind of difficult to write together in a way that isn't or to get them together because if you're starting from where they are in the series they can't stand each other at all and they don't get along very well but they sort of I think especially Almine learns to respect Kagami, understand that he is actually sort of worthy for Tatsu, if you want to say that, and also sort of to get into how they relate to each other, sort of like worthy as like a basketball rival and as, and sort of as a friend, like there's this whole thing where he like, he buys basketball shoes for him. He teaches and he sort of teaches Kagami a little bit more of how to play as well and how to they both have this sort of like shared like super basketball state called zone and I think that's actually a lot of where them together is that sort of like they both sort of have this capability and they can sort of play off each other very well I think more than almost anything else they really have a lot more aesthetic appeal than anything else for a lot of people they're very like similar looking guys so and sort of, you have these, like, two big guys, so you don't get, like, that sort of, like, typical BL dynamic at all. It's very, um... Aggressive. It's very aggressive, and they're considered much more equal. So we've talked about the pairings that fandom ships. If any of this sounds interesting to you, um, places that you can go to see where the fandom community gathers. There are communities on Dreamwith and LiveJournal, but I would say that these are mostly inactive. Where the fandom really shines, at least English language fandom, is Tumblr. I thought maybe um, one of you guys could give a quick overview of the fandom landscape on Tumblr, because I lurk there, but I'm not terribly active on it. Not as much as some of the other people here. Yes, but I'm I'm just gonna be really frank here and admit that I pretty much I pretty much keep track of Tumblr by tracking character and pairing tags and by character and pairing tags I mean I only keep track of ones related to Akashi. So my view of Tumblr I have a good overview of certain sections of it but not others. It is quite large and extensive and you can find quite a range of material so the biggest blogs are probably the ones that do do translations and some of that might be translations of the manga chapters as they're coming out there's a couple of tumblers that that will put a list on that actually do fan subs there are blogs that pretty much specialize in translating material from either published doujinshi or from pixif 
I think that's pretty much it for the general categories of translation blogs. A lot of Tumblrs will do what I personally like to call pixelating, which is posting art that actually has been posted on websites like Pixiv and, and sharing that. But I think there's been a movement lately as the fandom gets more community-minded towards minimising that and focusing on reblogging art that's original to Tumblr and there's also quite a large number of those blogs. Yeah, shall we talk a bit about OP No Art? Because I actually think that's a really um, <laughs> well, we can. interesting I guess project. OP No Art is a blog on Tumblr. It's focused on sort of counteracting that tendency towards pixel bleaching and even crediting and sourcing art off of Pixiv because there's a lot of backlash from Japanese and Korean and Chinese artists that are, that are posting there that they don't want their art reposted onto Tumblr, especially without the permission. And of course, there's like a lot of language barrier stuff. People are like too intimidated. They don't really know even how they would ask. And a lot of artists just straight up don't want people to do whatever. So the idea behind Opinor was to help publicize artists, both who are actually English speaking and also Korean, Chinese, Japanese speaking, especially, who have blogs on Tumblr and post their art there so that people can get more of a sense of how much art actually does originate on Tumblr because I think especially in anime fandom those people sort of get pushed by the wayside because people are so focused on reposting and eventually the idea would be to have sort of like a compilation of artists that are on Tumblr and sort of what their focuses are so that people can sort of find more what they like. And I think that it would be really helpful for a lot of people and how sort of like the fandom works and sort of changing a little bit of how Crocodile Basket fandom treats fan art. There's obviously writers who post and there's a, no- there's a small number of essay and meta blogs which basically foster discussion and and analysis of the series. Often in obsessive detail. Um, yeah. We're an obsessive fandom. Anna and Tor, I know you guys follow, you know, other segments of Tumblr a little bit more closely than I do. So are there specific areas that you guys like to talk about? Um, um, I'm not very into the Tumblr fandom. I also, like Tari, primarily lurk a lot. But, I mean, there is a significant chunk of people who do original fan art that I follow so and who posted on Tumblr. So that's a great way to disseminate that. And there is, I think that's one of the major ways people in the fandom also get followers is to be producing fan art. I think, basically, you sort of have... I don't, I don't know how much this has already been talked about. You have basically three segments. You have the fan art segment, you have the fan fiction segment, and you have the meta segment. I think overall the Tumblr fandom is actually, in a very wide sense, is actually fairly, for one thing, open to multi-shipping and also fairly ship neutral. You're not going to find, especially now, I think, I don't know, this wasn't necessarily true even like a year ago, but I think especially now, People aren't really that competitive in terms of either shipping or like favorite characters just because the the breadth is so wide that pretty much 
no matter what you're interested in, you can sort of, if you don't really want to engage with the fandom as a whole, you can sort of slot yourself into a niche and ignore everything else, which I think is sort of what Lynn sort of alluded to with her saying that she pretty much only tracked Akashi's tags and pairing tags related to him. So I think it's pretty, you can, it's pretty easy to sort of customize what kind of fandom experience you want on Tumblr, just depending on who you follow and how you engage with them. And I think that's one of the big advantages of fandom on Tumblr. On the flip side, what I really did find as someone who comes from, I'm old, but um, someone who comes from a live journal or Dreamwits background, it was much harder to find the centralised communities and also much harder to start up, you know, good long-lasting conversations with people. And that's been something that I've been able to do over the one year or so I've been in the fandom, but I did find it really difficult initially. It's also really hard to find the background to a conversation. Like, everything is now, now, now. It's hard to, like, go for an archive and read everything that a person said just because there's so much content on Tumblr, it gets buried really quickly. I think that actually gives us a pretty good segue to um, mentioning Basketball Poet Society. Um, so I want to give a full disclaimer. We're basically all moderators who run this uh, community Tumblr called Basketball Poet Society. And it started off as Lynn and Jess's idea, but I want to sort of explain that for those of you who are more used to fandom that existed on LiveJournal and DreamWith, it's kind of importing the the old, like, thick prompt-style communities, like 31 Days or 30 Kisses, onto Tumblr. And I think it's been a really successful project, and I'll let uh, Lynn and just talk more about it. All right, so I think we started it. Basketball Poet Society turned one year old either yesterday or today. I can't remember when the email arrived. And yesterday. at the time, yesterday? Yeah, thank you. I got it yesterday. Yeah, thank you, Quim. Um, and at the time, we we noticed that there were no what we call traditional writing prompt communities in on Tumblr or anywhere else for Kuroko no Basuke. And that was something that we were really keen to do because there, there wasn't a lot of fan fiction on the AO3 at the time. I think there was maybe 200 stories, and we just wanted to to hopefully build a bit more of a writing community and that was initially our focus. So what we do is we run a prompt every week and it runs for two weeks. So at any given week we will have two prompts running and anyone can basically just submit what was originally drabbles of 100 words or ficlets. They can be as long as you like but they have to be a minimum of 100 words. And... And more recently, um, because people express interest in it, we've actually expanded to submissions of art and graphics and even meta at times, depending on what prompt we run. It's been, the response has been fairly, fairly positive and we've gotten submissions most weeks. And we've also run a couple of um, more specific challenges that have come out of that. So we ran a fic exchange called Touch Pass, which was hosted on the AO3 a couple of months ago and we also run these things that that are basically battles so most recently we had character battle 
where we invited everyone to to submit as many drawings or thicklets as possible on behalf of their favourite character, and the character with the most submissions would win. That was exhausting. That was pretty <laughs> awful, actually. Yeah, I cannot remember how many submissions we ended up with. It was was it two hundred? Over two hundred. Over a ridiculous number. Over three hundred. Was it three hundred? I I cannot oh remember. God. It was a constant Did stream. You... We tried. We tried to queue them, and then found that towards the end, the queue wasn't moving fast enough. So we we were just having to publish them manually and flood everyone's everyone's dashes. But that was really exciting, and what we really valued about it was that. There was no limit. It wasn't that the the most popular character was going to win, as long as you were passionate enough about your character to to submit lots and lots of drabbles for them, then you could win. And that that is what happened. A minor character won, and minor characters were also in second and I think third place as well. Three hundred and forty-four works. Sorry, works. So three hundred and forty-four works. Yes. So those would have included a combination of mostly. Um, drabbles and some fan art but you know it was a really exciting time and so this was within a two-week period and I was very surprised to see how many people were, were passionate about um, characters like Hanami and Mibuchi who are so minor we even haven't even discussed them in our earlier <laughs> podcast. We're hoping to keep doing that yeah. So I think Basketball Poet Society has really been successful in sort of creating more of a community feel on Tumblr. So for those of you who are a little bit afraid to wander into the you know giant free-for-all that is the fandom tags, it might be a good place to start. I mean, I know it's our, our Tumblr, so it's a bit of a shameless self-promotion there. But, but I really do think that it's, it's a good space to... <laughs> slowly get yourself into the fandom and get yourself into the the thick or art producing mode if that's how you like to do fandom. If you don't like to touch Tumblr at all, um, you can still obviously go to Pixiv and see the thousands of amazing, gorgeous fan art there. But there's also a lot of thick available on AO3 and fanfiction.net. So periodically I'll tag what the fandom numbers on fanfiction.net and AO3 are for variety and pairings and number of works. I actually don't do fanfiction.net that often, but so in November 2011, Kuroko had, da 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 da, what's the number? 22 works on fanfiction.net, and it wasn't even listed on AO3, whereas now it's the 12th biggest anime fandom on AO3. And that's coming underneath things like Clamp, which is a amalgamation of various other fandoms. Currently on AO3, we're looking at 2,049 works in a period of two years. And on fanfiction.net, it's gone from 22 works to 6.6 thousand. Currently, Kuroko no Basuke is the 40th biggest anime manga fandom on fanfiction.net. So, uh, although it's nowhere near as big as something like Naruto, it's a currently active and growing fandom, and it's made it to within the top 50. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really great. Okay, and I just wanted to also mention some of the 
challenges that you can join in order to participate in the fandom. There's a Kuroko no Basuke Secret Santa, which is run through Tumblr. And、um, I think this is their second year running. Is that correct? The Secret Santa?、Um, it- It is, although I'm not clear whether it's the same person running because the, the Tumblr's pretty anonymous. But yeah, the, the Secret Center ran last year and is running this year in a pretty similar format. Right. And the fix for that are due soon,、mm-hmm. much to the dismay of some of the people、uh, in the podcast. Don't remind me, please. <laughs> right. Uh, as Lynn mentioned earlier, Basketball Poet Society has run some battle type challenges like Character Battle with its over 300 fan works. We also did an OTP battle for pairings earlier in the year, which was, which was also kind of epic in its own way, although it was kind of massively dwarfed by Character Battle that came afterwards.、Um, we're planning to run OTP battle again, if I'm not mistaken. Yes.、Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, beyond the. <laughs> Be on the watch out for that at、uh, Basketball Poet Society. And then we've also、um, organized some other challenges that we've again borrowed from the Dream with Live Journal model. We had a, a gen oriented fan work exchange, so fanfic and fan art, called Touch Pass earlier this fall. Fall,、um, and that was hosted on AO3 with announcements actually on both Dreamwith and Tumblr. And we're going to run another challenge called、uh, Misdirection, which is basically、um, styled after Blind Go and Sub Rosa Tennis. It's a guess the author challenge where、um, everyone's fics are anonymous and people try to guess who wrote them. Time for recs. Everyone has a couple of figure art recs, and again, we're just going to sort of go in alphabetical order. Yeah, alright, I'm gonna go. Okay, so I have recommendations for it's actually more generally just artists that are all on Tumblr, so you can follow them if you want. The first one is Sleek and Mate. She,、um, she's really focused on,、um, I think, Kise Koro the most as a ship, but she has a very like, soft and interesting style that I happen to really enjoy. She, she draws a lot of Rule 63. She doesn't really like, draw like, shippy stuff with Rule 63 for the most part. She just sort of draws like, her concepts for them, and I think they're pretty interesting. So, actually, and my second one is actually one of my favorite artists, Kuroquist. She's shockingly, I know, Aokaga focused, and she,、um, she draws a lot of stuff, I think, almost every single week. For, especially for new stuff that's coming out right now. And I really like the way, like some of the stuff, like some of the concepts that she comes up with. And I think that sometimes she has a pretty like, decent sense of humor. And I think she's, she draws some really interesting stuff. So my last one is Carolina Hearts. She mostly draws Casa Kise. That's like her number one focus is Casa Kise and Kise more generally. And she's really active in like the American convention scene. So She's actually one of the easiest artists to buy a lot of merch for, and I actually own some of her merchandise because I think that she draws really well and that she makes nice stuff. So I think that all three of these artists, and there's a lot more, I like, really love following art on Tumblr. So I think that, I mean, I could keep going about like, every single artist that I follow, but I'll spare you guys. My three recs for this fandom is、um, there's this. Um, alternate universe where Almine, instead of going to Toho, he goes to Seirin together with our protagonist. 
the one that I'm talking about is, well, there are several versions of it. The one I'm talking about is written by Lacewood. It's not complete yet, but it's very good and it's a very nice sort of exploration of what would have happened and it's very in character. Give the yeah, title and author. What? Give the title and author. I cannot remember the title and author. I, I don't know the author. I can't remember the title. All right, so I'll give it. It's All Your New Beginnings by Lacewood. Yes. And uh, my second one is Rise of the NBA by Tiger Sharks, which is a fic set in the future. It's written in the style of a newspaper article, and it's about um, Armini and Kagami playing in the, I think, the Clippers in the future as a as rookie professional basketball players. It's very interesting. And uh, my last rec is Art. It's actually, it's actually quite old. It's a stick figure summation of KMB up to the point um, of last year, it's hilarious. Yeah, like I can't describe it. You just have to go and check it out for yourselves. So my first rec is called the Tsundere Diaries, which is basically the very secret diary of Midorima Shintaro. Um, and it's written by an author. I'm really sorry if I pronounced this wrong. It's Grifo the Great, and it's basically advertised. It's it's very funny. I don't think it's it's complete, but it's in eleven parts, and it's the sort of thing you can just read and and finish, and you you're not so worried about the overarching narrative because it's full of little moments in Midorima and Akashi and the rest of the Shutaku team and the other generation of Miracles members. It, it's very funny. I could probably quote endlessly from it if I had it in front of me right now, and it's it's a Gen story, so it's just mainly character focus on Midorima and his terrible life. And it's ter very, very terrible. My second rec is actually a story by Jess. And her username is Half Sleeping. The fic is titled Akashi and Other Animals. And again, it's a Jen story. So you, you might get the idea that I really like. I really like Jen. And the premise of it is basically that Akashi collects a whole menagerie of pets and names them after his friends so he first wins uh, a goldfish at, at a festival which he decides to name name Tetsuya after after Kuroko whose first name is Tetsuya and then this goldfish keeps dying and he keeps replacing it but then it eventually evolves into him adopting a cat named after Aomine and a and a dog named after Kisei, and it just all goes downhill from there. It's it's very funny and quite vividly written, and I really do recommend it. The third story I'm going to recommend is called Consolation Prize by Soft Intelligence, and it explores the friendship between Akashi and Midorima at, at Seiko and in the canon year. And, I mean, the basic premise of the friendship between them is that Akashi always wins and Midorima also always loses. So it basically just involves Midorima losing to Akashi at, at everything. I think you've probably got by now that I really love Midorima suffering and Akashi suffering too, but Midorima suffers more probably. And yes, again, it's, it's basically Jen and it's humour and it's lighthearted and it's a really, it's short, but it's a really enjoyable read. So the three recs that I have are 
Make a Breaker by AMCW177. And that's uh, Armani Karakofic. It's a alternative universe. Uh, it's basically a fusion of the television series Person of Interest, where Armani used to spy for the CIA until his employment was rather violently terminated, as the summary puts it. And he eventually gets picked up by Karako, who's a computer genius that just happens to need the skill set of a former secret agent. And it's one of the longer fics in Karako no Basuke at 37,500 words. And it's good fun. There's a lot of characterization and uh, snappy dialogue between the two. And it's not a strict retelling of person of interest. It actually redoes the story to make sense with the Croco Nobasuke characters that it's using. The second fic I have to rec recommend is Settling Scores, which is by Still Skies, and it was written for Yuletide last year. And it's where poor, poor Kagame tries to get revenge against Kuroko, which is obviously a big mistake because Kuroko is very good with his revenge and getting one over on Kagame. And it's quite a fun short fic. The third recommendation that I have is for an author. The thing that I actually particularly ship in Kuroko no Basuke fandom is actually Kuroko slash everyone. He has a lot of chemistry to go around. And although Tristy mostly writes Kuroko and Kisei fluff slash humor, she's also done quite a few different drabbles or short fix where she gives tasters for a lot of the different varieties of Kuroko pairings. So, for example, she did a challenge where she did 10 short stories for all of the generation of miracles slash Kuroko pairings. And a lot of them are quite fun and very interesting to read. Okay, so I'm up next, and the first fic I'd like to wreck is actually written by Lynn, who's reader of Asaf on AO3, and it's called The Winner Takes It All, and it's a Akakuro, that is a Akashi Kuroko fic, and it basically uses the time loop trope. So um, Akashi and Kuroko are sort of stuck replaying the Winter Cup Finals over and over again. Basically, the Winter Cup Finals are when Seiren, Kuroko's team, goes up against Rakuzan, Akashi's team, to basically figure out who's number one in Japan. And, um, and it's really funny to sort of have both of them basically replay this epic battle in their lives over and over again until they're quite sick of it. And um, what's what's funny is basically um, it becomes a space for them to explore how they feel about each other much against Akashi's will because he does not like admitting he has feelings. And that is one of the reasons why I like this pairing. <laughs> and next I want to uh, wreck a piece of fan art which is by Nashina 
This is actually for a character that we didn't really talk about, but it's、um, Nijimura, who was the old captain of Kuroko and the Generation of Miracles at Teiko, their middle school. And this was submitted for our character battle on Basketball Poet Society. And it's just really gorgeous. The title is, let me get this correct. Captain, will you play basketball with us again? And it basically has Nijimura in different poses with different colors representing each of the generation of miracles as well as Kuroko. And the last picture is him in full color, which is really beautiful because、um, his name, Nijimura Niji, means rainbow. Yeah, Nashina is just、uh, such an amazing fan artist, and、um, this is. One of my favorite series of fan art. And then finally, I want to wreck a fic that focuses on a minor character who, again, we didn't really talk about during the podcast. But this fic is called 15 Sketches of the Basketball Boy by Tokume san on AO3 again. This is about Liu Wei. Who actually is a Chinese character、um, who plays on the basketball team of Yosen, which is the same school as、uh, Murasaki Bara. And Liu Wei is, well, the, the canon, or not, not the canon, but the idea behind this fic is Liu Wei、um, grew up in Hong Kong and sort of exploring his relationship to his home city. And、um, I, I really love fics that really bring alive their setting and,、um, The person who wrote this you know, lives in Hong Kong, and it's just full of all these little details that really bring the setting to life. And you can really tell、um, just like the fondness and affection that you have for the place you grew up in. And,、um, and I think it's a really interesting exploration of a, of a minor character who、um, otherwise doesn't really get much attention from the end. Okay, my turn. So the first. Piece that I want to recommend is actually an artist on Pixiv named Yuda. And I've chosen one of her works in particular, but in general, I just think her art is very gorgeous. And I speak maybe two words of Japanese, and she does all these comics that I find particularly impressive because the way she draws makes it very easy to follow the story just through the emotion in her drawing. So despite Not being able to understand a word of what's going on, I still really find them lovely and amazing to look at because what's happening in the plot is conveyed even without the words. The one I'm recommending is an Aokise piece that's an alternate universe where they're both knights in a fantasy world. The second one that I want to wreck is called The Dysfunction of Miracles by Animaus. And this is just a very cute little story. It's also Aokise. It's one of the fanfics in the fandom that I can read over and over again and still laugh every time. And it's basically Aomine and Kise getting together and trying to deny their attraction. And Akashi is having none of this because it's interfering with his practices and it's quite annoying. He takes creative measures to. Settle this, this disruption of his practices. The third thing I wanted to wreck is SCP 111 The Generation of Miracles by Twisted Sheets. And this is a genfic. It's basically an alternate universe kind of sci fi fic 
where the generation of miracles are these kind of superpowered creatures and everyone else has to kind of herd them around and keep them from causing havoc. And it's kind of case files of what's going on as everyone tries to do this. It's also quite funny. It's definitely one of the more unique pieces in the fandom and definitely, I think, one of the more creative pieces of fan fiction. All right. Thank you, everyone, for um, coming and speaking in this podcast and to everyone listening. And I hope this all convinces you to check the fandom out and watch, read, Kuroko no Basuke. <clears throat> Any final words from anyone else? Thank you for listening. <laughs> thank right. you. Don't let us scare yeah, you thank off you from so checking much. it out.